Welcome back to Brain Body Movement, the podcast for those interested in everything nutrition, training, and mindset. One of your hosts, Brad, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Brock. Today's episode was a Q&A where we answered four questions that got sent to us through social media. Question number one, what exercises do you recommend to improve my balance and stability? Question number two, what's the difference between a safety bar squat and a regular barbell back squat? Would I be okay to interchange the two? Question number three, when training to failure, is it only the final set that should be to failure? And question number four, been in a rut recently with working out and want to know how you get back into lifting after it's been a while. That was in the back half of the show and in the front half, we spoke about how to apologize, managing your ego, the effects stress has on your brain and dieting and gave you a couple of random facts. All right, enjoy the show. How to apologize, quickly, specifically, sincerely. All matter. Mm. All three of those points matter. It, the, the longer the pause is in between uh, giving or receiving apology, it's the more time they've had to think about things and maybe reflect. So that that's important if they can come to that conclusion quicker that an apology is needed. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was specifically. So you want to apologize about the specific thing. You just want to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Yep. Like, I'm sorry for and elaborate on why. Mm-hmm. And then sincerely, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say sorry and they do not genuinely mean it. Mm-hmm. And you can nine times out of 10, you can see right through it. And honestly, that changes the way that I view that person. Like it shapes their, their character for me. If it's just like a, a insincere apology, it's like, come on, what's the point? I'd rather you, I'd rather you not say anything than actually give me a, a heartless apology. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's like, oh, I'm sorry for this, but then that's all you, that's all they've thought about. And it's like, but like, do you even understand why this was upsetting for this certain thing that you did? And they're like, oh, not really. It's like, well, then you're not really sorry. So it's like, and and sometimes like saying it quickly as well. It's like without even time to reflect. It's just like quick. I like how he says like do it quickly, but it's like. There could be too quickly as well, couldn't mm-hmm. they? It's just like uh, this happened. And, oh, sorry, and you're like, you haven't even thought about it. Like, they literally just tell you, and then just, oh, sorry. It's like, no, no, no. What are you sorry for? And like the sincere part is like the biggest thing. Like I, I think a lot of people are just throwing out the sorry word, like and not even meaning it. Um, you got to really dig deep into wondering why why you're sorry. And sometimes you you might say that you're sorry, but really deep down you don't mean it. And then people can hear that in your voice and your tonality when you speak to them as well. And just like, it's got to be specific or else people, you might be saying sorry to a certain thing, but then what they really want you to say sorry for was a specific, another specific thing. And you're just like, oh, that's that's what I, uh, that's what I meant. But really they didn't. I think the order that you gave it, if you flipped it, that would be the order of importance for me. Mm-hmm. So like the sincerity is, is, is most important. Like, don't even bother if it's if it's not sincere, mm. and then the specificity would be next for me. So it's like, a, what exactly are you apologising for? And then the rate at which you do it probably is of least importance to me. But yeah, that's we we say um, that saying no is a skill. Mm-hmm. The ability the ability of when to understand when you may have done something wrong or you your actions, words, behaviours may have affected someone. And being able to acknowledge that is a massive, massive skill. And obviously, when you implement it, 
is also a skill within itself. Like, are you apologizing for a genuine reason? Are you being sincere in your apology? Because I mentioned it, you mentioned it. <laughs> you can see straight through yeah. someone when it's not <clears throat> sincere. Like it, it's just like a, they've got a insincere written on their forehead <laughs> as they're saying it to you. <laughs> so, so yeah, how to apologize and then when and why you're apologizing also matter as well. But I, I like this one yeah. because ap- apologizing is a skill because it's, it's you taking time to reflect being like, okay, I made an error of judgment words behavior here and I'm willing to cop it on the chin and apologize for what I've done wrong. And then hopefully in apologizing, it can be a reflective practice for you and be like, okay, learn from this mistake. Let's not do this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a. I think it could also just be like a misunderstanding, like especially say like for example, myself and my fiance when we first started dating, she would love that. Um, How does it feel we, saying that? Yeah, oh, it's 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 weird, different, it's, you're yeah. different man. Like, she loves saying it, and I, like, yeah, it's it is different, but yeah, it's um, in the, in, the, in the start of our relationship, um there was just certain things that um, either I would do or say, and then she wasn't like very happy with, with certain things. And then I was like, no, no, like this is how I've always done it without even thinking. So then I had to reflect on what she was saying. And then, then we have the conversation around it. And then I would be like, okay, now I understand where you're coming from. And I'm sorry for the way that I handled this certain thing. And then we went moving forward and then like, the more we had the conversations, the more we checked in each week, the better our relationship got of, okay, is this going to align with like the way we want to live our lives and will this impact just me or will it impact um, my fiance as well? So it's, I, I really like the, I think when you like, I really like that you can learn from certain mistakes when you are saying sorry. So I think a lot of people, their egos can get quite bruised when they know they're wrong or not even they know they're wrong. They think that they're still right, but they're not actually reflecting on themselves of like, hang on, maybe I am wrong here because this person wouldn't be saying that if they weren't actually upset. So that you got to kind of see it from their side of the fence as well of like, okay, maybe I've got a bit of dirt on my, on my glasses right now, seeing through this lens. I just maybe need to clear it up, try and understand where they're coming from. And then move forward. And sometimes you may not agree with it, but the more times or not, I think if you just like step back and go, okay, if we're going to move forward here with this, um, I need to understand both sides of the story uh, so that we can have, a, like I say, a better relationship or whatever um, because they are learning moments and they are teaching moments and they can easily just get swept under the rug and be like, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. You say it. They may even believe you. And then you haven't learned anything. And then moving forward, you do the same thing again. And then they're like, you do this every time. You say you're sorry and then you keep doing it. And it's like, it's because you're not learning. You're not actually taking it. You're just randomly saying, yeah, I'm sorry, but not genuinely, sincerely meaning it. So it's a great teaching moment. And it took me a little bit. And there was obviously a lot of tension at the start, but it's a lot a lot easier now that I have that skill of reflecting on what's actually happened, why um, said person has got upset. Um, and then you can move forward and it's a skill for life. Yeah. So you're, you're talking back to the the start of your relationship there, right? So I'm going to take this back to like a young whippersnapper rock. And there was a key word you mentioned there and it was ego. 
So mm-hmm. the ego of me was like, oh no, no, I'm right. They're mm-hmm. the way that because they're feeling that way, it's just not my problem. And it was my ego getting in the way of like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Ego is a crippler, and it's not just like in in life and in in the way you interact with others, but like let's relate it back to health and fitness in the gym. Like if you're ego lifting, mm, like leave yourself. the ego at the door. Like ego is, is crippling and it, what it's like a, almost like a pain body for people. And the, the ego drives them and drives them and drives them and drives them and drives them. And some people, it fuels them really, really well. Like let's say like a, a Michael Jordan, for example. I mean, a lot of his is just ego, ego, ego. And that's what fuels him and drives him. And it's to an extent what makes him successful. But, he also doesn't have a lot of great relationships with the people that were in that team with him because it was so egocentric and it was all him, 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 and ego was the, the crust of it. So I used to be of the opinion this was uh, non-conscious Brock walking around aimlessly, <laughs> completely clueless of how his words, actions, and behaviors could affect others. And I was like, oh, no, I'm right. I, I know that's the correct answer or that's the correct way to do things and completely disregarded how someone else may be feeling. And it's not as if I had to understand what they were feeling, but I just needed to understand that because of what I did, they were feeling that way. Like I didn't have to be like, okay, that's justified for them to feel that way. It was just, no, what I've done has made them feel this way. And and maybe that's something worth apologizing for because if it weren't for me, they wouldn't be feeling like this. So yeah, it was, it was heavily ego, ego fueled. And it was just funny. You were mentioning the start of your relationship and ego there. And I was like, actually, that is that is really young little whippersnapper Brock, like mm. getting around from the ages of like I don't know maybe like eighteen, even younger probably sixteen to to twenty two. Mm. I don't know. Us us men are a bit <laughs> a bit oblivious to that in our younger years. <laughs> I think yeah. you, you would agree with me there, but yeah, it, it was getting rid of that ego and being like, okay, I, even though I I am right mm. in in the way I'm I feel as though I'm approaching this. I'm also wrong because the way I'm approaching this is making someone feel a certain way. And I'd like to go through life not making people feel as shit as often as possible. Yeah. <laughs> like the, to to negatively impact other people's lives is something I want to try and minimize doing. I want to try and positively impact other people's lives as much as possible. I mean, that's my whole business. It's why we do this podcast. We're trying to positively impact people's lives for the better. So removing that ego and stripping it way back and going, okay, this is why. And that's that that reflective practice that we talk about. It's stripping it right back and going, okay, even though I am right, I'm also wrong in the same boat (laughs) because I want to positively impact people's lives, not negatively impact them. And my actions, behaviors were having a negative impact on the way someone was feeling. A hundred percent. And it's, it's very male dominated, isn't it? But I, I think also, I think Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Ego is Enemy. It's very, very true. And um, have you heard of Ryan Holiday before? I have. Yeah. 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 Good. Really good read. And yeah, it's it can get in the way and it still can creep in from time to time. Like I'm dramatically better than I was five years ago and dramatically better than I was 10 to 15 years ago. But I think the more you go into it, you have are it's like different types of ego and different situations and that. And like it's so it's it can be so hard because you're just like it's like your identity with certain things as well and or a belief that you have even. Like 
you truly believe certain things and then for it to even get shattered because you're like, oh no, that can't be right. That's I can't be wrong with this. Like I've believed it for so long and then someone's just come in and gone, you're wrong. Like that's not the way that this certain thing. And you're just like, it's, it's hard. And I think it's, it's hard if you don't have an open mind. I think it's also harder the longer you've held that belief too, which is why I think you see a lot of a lot more old people as well. It's a lot harder to change their mind with certain things. And I think the the younger you are, the more influence you have get can be influenced, or also just like having that open mind of no, I'm I'm okay to change my mind when sufficient evidence has come to me. Um, but then as long as it's the right evidence, you know, because some people can be very persuasive with wrong and falsely made up evidence i guess you could say yeah. um but yeah it, it is a big one and i've i ha- i didn't uh, it's i remember talking to this after i spoke after after i read the book of or listened to it really um i was speaking to a guy and he um that i used to work with and he and he was like oh yeah i don't have an ego <laughs> And I'm like, that is your ego talking right now. Mm. It was so funny. I was like, wow, like some people can be just so, so oblivious to what they've been talking about sometimes that he he said a comment like that. Like we've all, we all have egos, like men and women, men probably a little bit more so just because of that prideful aspect um, personally from my experience. But yeah, it's, it's always in us um, and it's just like trying to fight it and trying to go down the right track and be like, Swallow your pride, um, and things will be a lot better. Now, this is this is the negatives of ego, right? There's also some positives, though. Yeah. So, if you use your ego to fuel you, like I used Jordan as an example, I'll go back to him again to fuel a sport and be ultra competitive in a sport and something that you can pursue and make a lot of money from. Then, yeah, have an ego. I mean, he's now regarded as the greatest of all time because of his ego, because his ego fueled him and drove him. Now, for um, relate this to myself, for example, go into the gym and I want to be really strong and I've got a real strength focus. My ego is going to fuel me to keep going, keep going, getting stronger, getting stronger, getting stronger. And it's going to drive that. But I suppose it's for a good purpose, right? It's to gain strength because strength is my goal. However, that can that can also spiral out of control and then you can – put too much weight on the bar, a weight that you cannot control, bang, injury asking to happen. And that often happens with a lot of people. So yes, yes, there is a lot of negatives to an ego, but you can also use it to your advantage. Like an, an ego in business as well. People just constantly wanting to build more. Like Homozy definitely 100% has an ego, but he uses it as a way to drive his business, drive his businesses, drive his businesses. So it can be used for you. It's about managing it and learning when to use it in a way that actually supports you rather than hinders you. Mm. Mm, let me let me think about this. I think you so obviously there's some negatives. Now I think the positives is more maybe the confidence interval, like of how confident you are. Like Michael Jordan has obsessive compulsive, like he's obsessive about basketball. And he has the confidence and obviously the ego will flare up from time to time. But I think I think in the long run, like obviously ego is going to get you there, but there's that, that difference between ego and, and confidence as well. And it may be, it, it, I'm just trying to think of this out loud of like, 
is ego. You think you're better than everyone else, but then you, but you don't feel like everyone else is as good as you. Whereas confidence, like I, I am confident in myself and my abilities of and way around me, but I can also lift people up next to me. What do you reckon? Because yeah, I, 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 I don't I suppose know if so. I, I don't know if I fully agree with there being much positive to ego. Like that's where I'm a bit stuck on. I think it may be that it's that high confidence of yourself and then the the ego can kind of like destroy relationships around you. What do you think? So down down by seven seconds, one one point difference. Um uh, sorry, seven seconds left, down by one point. Uh, Jordan's playing. Mm. His his ego has him wanting the ball because he wants to take the shot, right? Or is mm. that his confidence? That's his ego. It's like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this because I'm I'm the best out here. I'm the best man to take that shot. That's his ego driving him. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, usually it's very positive, right? I mean, he, in nine times out of ten, he'd make that shot. So that's his that's his ego feeling him to do that. Whereas a confidence would be okay. We'll run this play and we'll see what comes from it. And then we'll decide whether I take the shot or whether I pass it off to Pippen or whether I pass it off to Rodman or whatever it may be. So that's his his ego feeling that, and that's what made him so great was the, the that that ego of like I am the best. I will take the shot when the game's on the line. Yes, but I can also see it like I can if there's a better shot to pass it off as well, knowing that you might not get it. I know it's a hard one. I just I'm just trying to see like. I think it's not either either or. It may be like a and of like confidence and ego going at the same time. Yeah, I can see that. Mm. Like 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 I said, there's a lot more negatives, and you should be mm. like managing your ego and suppressing it as much as possible, and not letting it dictate the way that you do things. But there there is some ways that you can harness it as a benefit towards you. I feel. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It it'd be it'd be in in combination with things. So let's let's say you've got a specific goal and let's say you want to be the best in the world at chess <laughs> and your ego is like, I want to be the best in the world. I want to be the best in the world. I want to be the best in the world. And that makes you relentlessly practice and practice and practice and hone the skill of chess to the point where you become the best in the world. That that was driven by your ego wanting you to be best in the world and you've achieved your goal that you set out to do. So if it's, if it's your ego driving you towards achieving your goal, then it, it can be beneficial but you've got, always got to manage that because it may be a point where it becomes like overly, overly obsessive, like Jordan in that bull side where he pissed off a lot of his teammates. And still to this day, Pippen comes out and makes comments. Rodman Does comes he? out and makes comments. Yeah, absolutely. Still to this day. So, <laughs> yeah, they need yeah. to uh, sincerely apologize. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. hard one, like ego and shit. It's, yeah. Enough. I've quite wrapped my head around it as well, um, but I think like moving forward, I think it's best not to not to have as much as possible. Yeah. And try, try and um, I guess yeah. If you do, if you do have it, like reflect on on like why you do have it and see if you can use it for good. Yeah, then that's where I'm coming from. Like, there's a lot more. There's a lot more negatives to it then there is positives. So you want to be managing it as best you can. And then if there is a way that you can harness it to potentially give you a net positive, then I've got no reason with you, with you doing that. It's like anything, right? Like let's say um, soon in Australia, Silas Ivan is becoming uh, legal with therapy. Like it's got a lot of negatives, 
but it's also got the positives as well. So if you can harness that to be able to create a net positive for you, then by all means, use it. Mm. Yeah, there's always a good and a bad to most things. Yeah, there? yeah. Right. Well, it's the yin and the yang of of life, the masculine, the feminine, the yin and the yang. The mm. Yeah, pros and cons, there, there always is. Anyway, speaking of uh, the brain, I wanted to bring up a study on stress. Now, this is really recent. So it was released on June 8th of this year. And it's just to do with stress and its impact on the brain and what the brain seeks out. So the study, the summary just says, stress can override natural satiety cues to drive more food intake and boost the cravings for something sweet. There's a little excerpt down further on. Um, A team from the Garvin Institute of Medical Research found that stress overrode the brain's natural response to satiety, leading to non-stop reward signals that promote eating more highly palatable foods. This occurred in a part of the brain called the lateral habenula, which when activated usually dampens these reward signals. So Mm. the findings revealed that stress can override a natural brain response that diminishes pleasure gained from eating, meaning the brain is continuously rewarded to eat. And then there's, they put a little quote in there of um, from a stressed brain to weight gain, uh, it's driving comfort eating, and it just overrides that natural satiety that we often talk about by regulating your natural satiety and hunger cues by eating whole foods. It sort of overrides that. So mm. managing your stress is is really, really pivotal because – it's literally you're fighting your physiology mm-hmm. if you're not managing your stress because your physiology just ramps up that that hunger cue signal and it overrides you. It's like like a hijacker with a car, right? The stress mm-hmm. is the hijacker coming up to the car and bang, car's gone. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Got no car anymore. <laughs> no, but that's the old stress eater, isn't it? Of like massively stressed out at work. Yeah, we know about just, it. Yeah, just keep it. Like I've been there, done that. And you just keep going and you know you're doing it. Well, I knew I was doing it at the time and I just wanted just wanted more. You just wanted to not feel the stress because eating food is quite a, a parasympathetic um, action. It'll just put you in a parasympathetic state and relax you a bit more. But like with when you're heightened and stressed and it's it seems as though from this study, it looks as if because it's dampened it, you might need like twice, twice as much food just to get that same effect as if you were like mm-hmm. just to eat it normally and that's probably why you do see a lot of stress heads just smashing down the, the cookies and ice cream late at night <laughs> more than more yeah and and let's say you're not smashing down the cookies and the ice cream at night but you are are a highly stressed individual and you're looking to uh go on a fat loss phase and your stress levels are through the roof we talk about regularly there's, only, there's a breaking point. There's only so much you can willpower through things. So you're going through this dieting phase and you're really, really well. You're sticking to the plan. You're sticking to the plan. Stress levels are throughout the roof, but you're like, hey, I'm sticking to the plan. I'm controlling this. Throughout that period, hunger gets worse and worse and worse. You're not getting as much reward from the flavors of the food. Even if you're being present, sitting down, eating slowly, doing everything you can to try and get as much reward from the food as possible, this stress is just overriding this part of your brain. You've willpowered through one week. Your willpower through two weeks. Eventually, it's just going to be you're not getting that reward. And it's going to be, okay, you're going to have to give me this because you're so stressed out at the moment. I'm just going to really ramp up this satiety for this highly palatable sweet food. 
and then bang, you could crack. And then it's like, oh, I've willpowered through two and a half weeks. Oh, I've had this one thing. I've gone off plan. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. 10 cookies, a liter of ice cream, and you just you plow through it. That's where that restrict binge can come in because, and it's not not because you haven't stuck to the plan or you've been too overly restrictive. It's because you're too stressed and it's created this hijacking of your brain and it's it's fight, trying to fight your physiology. So maybe right now, let's say you are that highly stressed individual and you've got a fat loss phase. Maybe right now isn't the best time to be focusing on fat loss. Maybe the best time is just eat at maintenance, eat to live, fuel your body correctly, still train because you like it, still stay active, still try and prioritize your sleep, but focus on minimizing that stress. And then when that stress is minimized, that's when you can move into your fat loss phase. That's that's what I'm picking up from this this study in particular is is the importance of knowing when you can and can't mm-hmm. be in a fat loss phase and then how important minimizing your stress levels throughout a fat loss phase are and the impact that would have on your hunger because yeah there's only so much willpower you got to, to push mm-hmm. through hunger everyone's eventually got a tipping point mm-hmm. yeah and that just comes down to managing the stress and i think also people they go all right i'm gonna go into a fat loss phase gonna lose some lose some fat and then as at the drop of a hat as soon as they get stressed they blow it all out and then they stop the diet Whereas if they know that inevitably they're going to get stressed, they know, okay, maybe throughout this time, maybe it's like whatever, stress at work, like you got a big project coming up or or a wedding or you're moving or whatever it is, you go, okay, maybe just for like this week or two, I'm just going to eat back at maintenance, eat to live and not worry too much and then get back into the fat loss phase. And we we love doing them in little sprints. I've heard from, uh, I think it was Lane Norton that called them little fat loss sprints. Really like that. I've just, you know, four to six week blocks and just go in and out. And then, or you can just make it around whatever um, stressful times there are in your life instead of going, right, I'm going to go do it and then just have like, I don't know, a whole year or whatever planned. And then as soon as you hit like a roadblock, it just, you completely stop because you're like, oh, this is too hard. I'm not seeing results. It's like, well, Maybe this period of time isn't the time for you to uh, get into a fat loss phase. Maybe it's the week after and you would have been good for like three weeks and you would have made progress if you had just stuck with it and planned ahead of going, all right, this is happening here. You know, we've got holidays around here. I don't want to stress around this area. Maybe I'm just going to back it off here. I'm going to get temptations from doing this or that. It's just like a little bit of planning and forward thinking instead of going, yeah, I'll start Monday and he's start Monday and you're fucked by like Wednesday. Like, I've seen it over and over again. So yeah, it's that preparation that we talk about a lot of just knowing what you're going to do and being okay with like saying, okay, maybe not today. Just maybe not today. Like tomorrow I will do it, but you're still knowing you're not going to stop. You're just going to keep going. Yeah, the only way you can fail is if you quit, right? See but I was literally having a, a conversation the other day with a client uh, lady, I'm trained for marathons. She's a she's a marathon runner, and she had 20 weeks till her next marathon. She's like, "Oh, I'd like to lose five kilos in this period, but I don't want my running to be impacted." I'm like, "Okay, so towards leaning in towards the marathon, your energy expenditure is going to go up and up and up as you're running longer distances and you're covering more k's miles throughout the week." I'm like, so do you have anything in the next four to six weeks? She's like, no, I've got, I've got no events. In fact, my partner goes away for three weeks. I'm like, perfect. 
attack fat loss hard for these next three weeks. You've got no social events. Your, your partner's not going to be here and he's not going to be like, oh, let's go out for dinner together. You can just dial everything in, attack fat loss now, and then move out of it. I'm like, because stress is going to be minimized. It's literally just you at home, go to work, come here, and then you leave, you, you do your runs, that's it. Now is the perfect time for you to attack fat loss. And then when your partner comes back and you want to go out for dinner, you've achieved great things over these past three, four weeks, and you can splurge on calories a little bit, and then you can build your calories up into leading into to marathon day. But but do the part now while your stress is at a, at a minimum, and you've got the time and you're in a phase in your life where it actually suits you. She was like, oh, that makes that makes total sense. Like it's just a sprint. It's it's, it's like uh-huh. I can just get I can just get through it. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I believe it was on Mind Pump that um, Lane Norton said that. Oh, was it? Fat loss, yeah, fat loss sprints, yeah, when he was yeah. being interviewed by Mind Pump. I believe it was either that or uh, oh, I, I heard it. Yeah, it was definitely Lane Norton. He he said it like in a video a while ago as well. So Yeah, and it's, it. it's so true. Like the majority of your life should be spent at maintenance. Like mm-hmm. because that's good things happen at maintenance. Like maintenance is such a, I don't know, demonized word of like, I'm not making progress anyway. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. But you don't constantly have to be making progress. Like you have phases in your life where you can make amazing progress. And then you have phases in your life where it's like, okay, now's not a time to make progress. I've got, I've got to move house. I've got a proposal to prepare for. I'm heading over to Europe soon. Like maybe it's not the best time for fat mm. loss. And, and yes, I'm using you as an example, <laughs> but you, ref- you saw that yourself and you're like, okay, I'm stressed about the proposal. And I'm going to have the weekend away with my now fiance. So you went to maintenance. You didn't yeah. stick in a fat loss phase because stress levels were higher. So you yeah. took an audible and you're like, okay, I'll go in. And then once that proposal's over, I'll hit it hard for two weeks and I'll push into fat loss where, where stress is a little bit more minimized and I can really focus on it. So yeah, phases, sprints, and spend majority of the time at maintenance or in a momentum building phase. This is why I brought this up many times. This is why I like momentum because you're gaining momentum in the right direction because you're living life better at maintenance. Training's better, mood's better, uh, libido's better, mm-hmm. everything, energy, day-to-day energy levels is better, mindset's better. Like everything's better at maintenance. Whereas when you're dieting, it's pushing shit up a hill. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, uh, that's a good way. That's a good way of saying it, especially... Is and also especially if you think you are in a calorie deficit and then you're not, you're not losing weight. <laughs> it could be massive stress on you, and you were like, "Ah, oh, this is shit house." So it's just a rolling shit fucking that just keeps coming back down the hill. <laughs> What's it trying to get up? Trying to get up shit creek without a popsicle stick or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, do you have a do you have a fact for me, my man? I do. I do have a fact. Speaking of shit, this is this has worked perfectly. Okay, do you want to know the longest known record for constipation? For constipation, yeah. I'm going to say it's in the months. A hundred and two days. What's that? Three three months? Just over? Just over three months. That's a long time. <laughs> Especially <laughs> for, know this, for me, man. Like, like, <laughs> Do you know what my natural instinct was? My natural instinct was straight away, bang, dad joke. I'm like, oh, that's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time. Yeah. Like that, that would that would have to have some serious health implications, right? Oh, probably. And yeah, not good. Where's the where's the food going? Yeah. Like know. are they are they ex- excreting it through their sweat or skin or something? Or like <laughs> what's going on? I'm not sure. Surely, surely there's got to be something there. 
Well, 100, 102 days. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I've got a pretty regular poo clock. I wake up in the morning, bang, on the toilet. I'm sure people are loving this shit chat, but like, yeah. it's true. Like, I'm, I'm regular, bang, same time every morning. Wake up, yeah. toilet, wake up, toilet, wake up, toilet. Yeah, I'm at least between one and three every day. So. Oh, you you have a ridiculous, <laughs> a ridiculous. When I was on um, when I was on Carnival, I hardly did it. Just wasn't getting no, no fiber. fiber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I eat enough fiber, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me think. Pelicans. As a fact. No, no, no not pelicans. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go with butterflies. Okay, butterflies. Okay, and speaking of. Of uh of of shit, um, butterflies can taste with their feet. Mm. So, like when they land on things, they can taste things. So, uh, you would not want to land <laughs> on what you thought was a stick and it be something else. So, they use something called chemoreceptors that help them identify plants. So, females select the uh, correct leaf on which to lay eggs by like drumming it and tasting it with her feet as uh to to get the plant to sort of release juices and then she can taste it as this a healthy plant is it going to be sustainable enough to hold my eggs mm. so i can bring more butterflies into the world but yeah they t- taste with their feet imagine if we taste with our feet oh fuck that I'll, I'll be walking on my hands man <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's pretty crazy hey i mean people people do grounding like barefoot all the time for a reason but like imagine every stride you take of yeah Mm. Walk, walking into a toilet. That's uh, no, thank yeah. you into a, into a male urinal. No, thank <laughs> you. No, thank you. Leave that one for the butterflies. They can keep the tasting with their feet. We'll keep it just mouth related for us. Yeah, there'll be a lot more foot fetishes going along. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's funny is um, why foot fetishes start. So it often comes from someone's first interaction. So let's say you're a, a young little whippersnapper at school, and and the girl you like. She looks at you and she sort of like touches your foot as she gives you like a seductive look. That's often where foot fetishes come from. I learned that the other day, and I was just, it, when you said it, really? then I was like, "Hey, that's yeah." So often, a lot of fetishes come from someone's first like uh, sexual encounter or something like that, and then it just bleeds into mm. that aspect of their life. So like a, lot, a lot of fetishes that way, or something. Let, well, kind let's of- say let's say the first time someone um, sorts themselves out, so to speak, and a spider lands on them. They may have a fetishes fetish with spiders moving forward because the first time they had that sexual experience, a spider landed on them. Mm, look that at those legs! Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get stuck into some questions. Yeah, let's do it. Before we get to the questions, I just want to ask a small favor of you: if you could leave us a five star review and share this episode with family, friends, or to your Instagram stories, we would really appreciate it. It helps the podcast grow get into more people's ears and cost nothing but two seconds of your time. Thanks for listening and your continued support. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Question number one, what exercises do you recommend to improve my balance and stability? Okay, so when it comes to exercises for stability and balance, your best bet is going to be single leg stuff. So single leg... um, RDL, single leg, like Bulgarians. Um, you could anything that you're off balance, because you'll find that um, you're once you're working one side, the other side has to stabilize. 
so you're working with that you can also there's also like pharma carries but um it's actually called a suitcase carry so you've got it in one one side so i worked with a uh an old boy like an old veteran he's like 72 years old and his balance was quite off so we did a lot of stuff with single leg stuff but it was it was more like b stance so he would have one leg just just like holding there we'd hold some rings we'd do like a little little squat with like one leg we'd do a lot of suitcase carries um and even even just like walking in a straight line from like toe to heel toe to heel helped helped him a lot um but a lot of that can also be to due to like maybe his ears sometimes when your ears are out of balance too you can go all over the shop um, but specific exercises yeah i'd i'd mainly go for all the all the single leg stuff um and stability as well would be due, due to your core so if you strengthen up your core so your big compound movements are going to help you out here um and and your uh i guess your core exercises like your hanging knee raises some cable crunches stuff like that stuff using on like a stability ball too so you could potentially um do some weights on a stability ball it looks pretty stupid though um but i really want to know why you want to get your balance is it because you're doing a certain exercise that you just don't feel stable with um it could be where you're putting the weight so even you can start off like say you're doing a bulgarian split squat i see a lot of people um, putting the weight in opposite hand, which makes them stabilize better. You can put it like say the right foot's forward, they'll put it in their left hand. If you put it in your right hand, it's going to like make you a lot more instabil- like in- instable. Un- unstable? Un- unstable. <laughs> yeah, unstable. It's going to make you more unstable. So um, that's what you want. So you can uh, increase that stability in the in the movement. I am glad you went there because that's exactly where I was going to go. So Obviously, it's it's a lot of single leg um, exercises, um, and then offset that weight. So um, you could even do a, a case of you're holding two dumbbells, but one is heavier on one side, and then that will create an, an instability, and then that should help with your stability. Um, a couple of other things, though. So a lot of balance is eyesight. So it's a lot of proprioception, and you mentioned ears, but but eyesight is a big one. So literally, just stand on one foot close your eyes and see how your balance goes. Or I do a lot of drills with people where they're standing on one foot and I have a ball and then I'm changing their eyesight and where they're focusing on by throwing the ball to different angles, different heights, different widths. And it's, it's taking that eyesight component out of balance whilst they stand on one leg. That is a great way of doing it. You don't need someone to be throwing you a ball. You could be facing a wall and throw a tennis ball against a wall, standing on one leg and it's constantly changing your eyesight, which will help improve your balance you'll find that it's quite difficult. Another one is just simply, let's say you don't have a tennis ball. Let's say you've got a pen or your phone. You're holding your phone. Stand on one leg. Hold the phone out to one side of your body with a straight arm. So let's say your right arm is straight out to your side. Fix your eyes on your phone and then lift that arm overhead. Swap overhand to the other arm and then bring that arm down, keeping your eyes on your phone the whole time. It's the exact same principle. Your eyes are taken away from looking at the ground and giving you that proprioception and sense of balance. So that would be where I would go. Stability, uh, it's pretty much a, a lot of core strength. So shoulder taps are great. Plank to push-ups are great. Anything where you're bracing payoff presses, wood chops, anything like that. Um I would avoid BOSU balls. 
like the plague. Uh, I wouldn't be doing too many exercises on both balls. It's creating artificial instability. Um, you're best off being stable on a, a flat surface. We're not walking around in the middle of an earthquake regularly. So, yeah, and just just general strength as a whole. So I think that's often neglected with balance. Like if if you've got strength and whether that's you've created it bilaterally through doing squats, leg presses, hack squats, if you've got strength and you've got the ability to maybe step to the side and catch yourself without falling over and that's that's your reason for you wanting balance, then strength is going to go a long way. So mm-hmm. just being strong will help. So strength training, unilateral exercises, offset your weight. I really, really like suitcase carries or you could do one arm overhead, one arm by your side carry so that the weights are in different locations. I really, really like those and just thinking of your heel strike. Um, your balance drills on one leg where you, you play around with your eyesight or close your eyes. Um, if you've got someone, <laughs> stand on one leg, hold your arms out in front and just have them like move your arms up. You can't see where they're going to move your arms and they move your arms up and down. That's going to challenge your balance and stability like crazy. Mm. So think outside the box a little bit with these rather than uh, yeah, just your, your basic one leg and see what benefit you can get. But it will come down to why you want the balance and stability. Yeah, exactly, which they didn't say here. So we're just like shooting nah. in the dark. <laughs> yeah, not not specified. So we're just going to give a very broad answer that, that, that may help. Question number two, what's the difference between a safety bar squat and a regular barbell back squat? Would I be okay to interchange the two? I think you would be okay interchanging the two. Um, but I'd also challenge you to maybe do like a good block with say one first before you change it up like i wouldn't i wouldn't do like a barbell on one day and then a couple of days later do the safety bar it's like it's it's different it's it's so basically you got the barbell straight on your back and it's just a straight bar so you need a lot more um i guess shoulder mobility um in thoracic in your, mobility yeah a bit of thoracic mobility too whereas the safety bar it's got like these pads on it and then has Kind of these poles moving forward so it kind of shifts your arms forward so the weight distribution is a little bit um a little bit better on your back there's the main reasons um you see the old boys that don't have as much mobility use them in in the big gyms not a lot of gyms do have them i think i only have seen maybe like two or three that i've been to that that actually have them um but most people um if they don't have the mobility to get into a squat that's where like you could use like a dumbbell and, and stuff like that. But yeah, you can definitely interchange them if you want. It just depends on your your mobility. Like they're going to pretty well hit the same muscles. Like you might get maybe, depending on, um, you might get a little bit more quad with the, uh, the safety bar, do you reckon? Yeah, I would say so. Your torso would be a little bit more upright. Yeah, so it's far, just a little bit more. Speaking. Yeah, yeah, and a bit more, yeah. bit more hip, hip dominant with the the normal barbell, depending on how you squat as well. But it's it's not too much different. It just, I think it just feels a lot better with the safety bar. Yeah, so the, to me, that's the main difference. It's just the biomechanics and the angle of your your torso in relation to your your thigh. So that angle of your hip, it if you especially if you're low bar, if that angle at your hip is going to be um, a lot more extreme than if you're, you're using a safety bar, because you're going to be a lot more upright. But yeah, it really, uh, it really 
depends on what your what your goal is. They're definitely interchangeable. I mean, they're both they're both squats, so they're both a squat movement pattern. So there's no reason why you could be interchangeable. Stick to one for a period of four to six weeks, and then go and change to the other one, and maybe you'll get a slightly novel stimulus between the two, and that can be a way to one. It's a bit of variety in your exercise programming, so you won't feel like you're doing the same thing ever again. And two, it's a slightly novel stimulus, so maybe a way to progress when maybe you're, you're lacking on your regular bubble, bubble squat. Throw this one in. Oh, it's novel. This is exciting. It's fun. It's going to keep me adhering to my plan. Plus, it's slightly different biomechanically, so I may get a little bit of benefit muscle-building-wise or um, performance-wise from it. So, yeah, definitely, definitely interchangeable. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind why they wouldn't be, but like you said and I've said, stick to them for a period of time first. Mm, yeah, like if you're first starting out, yeah, probably go for the barbell one first because that's mm. a lot more, I guess, overall, you could just pick up a barbell anywhere. Like most, that's what I'm saying, there's maybe like one or two in one gym of a safety bar, not even. So some gyms definitely don't even have them. So yeah, probably go for the barbell first and then try your safety safety squat if you've, if you've got them in the, in the gym. They are a cool tool. Like my, my gym's got one and I love it. I haven't used it in a while, but every every now and then I'll, I'll throw it in. Mm. Okay, question number three. When training to failure, is it only the final set that should be trained to failure? I mean, you can train to failure when, whenever you want, but I personally like doing it on the last set of the last exercise so you're not wrecked for the whole um, session. So if you're going in there, you're starting off, say, with squats, and you're just going to failure, you're going to be wrecked for the rest of your exercises you're not going to progress as much in those exercises. Whereas we say like between two to five reps shy of failure, depending on the exercise. Um, I would mainly keep it for isolation movements as well, where you can really push it and the, the safety isn't as worrying than if you were to go to failure on a squat. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. It's quite... Can be quite scary getting under that bar, and you know that you're going to failure if you don't have all the safety setups there. Um, but yeah, I like it right at the end, usually at the the last exercise because it feels good. You're right at the end, and then you're just like pumping it out, and you're like, yeah, it feel good. And that last that last bit, leaving out the gym, get a nice pump, and it feels like you've actually done a good session, and like mentally you feel good. Yeah. So. Train to failure is a is a is a tool that you have in your your tool belt when it comes to a, to building muscle and and eking out more performance in the gym, but it should be used sparingly and only on certain exercises. So I think there's this myth that you must train to failure every single set. It's totally totally a myth. You should be training close enough to failure, mm-hmm. and you need to have trained to failure to understand what close enough to failure is. But once you've trained to failure once and you understand what it is then just leave one to two in the tank. And I leave failure for machines or cables and isolation movements. That's the only time that I will train to failure. And I, it's not on all sets either. Like you said yourself, it's it's on that last set of an exercise. So if, let's say, hypothetically, I'm training just shoulders and arms one day and I go through my overhead press and then I go into a lateral raise variation and then i've got another set of a lateral raise variation on that last set of that second lateral raise variation i'll push that one right the way to failure because after that i know that i'm moving into the tricep component of my workout so i can fry the shoulders as much as i want knowing that 
I'm moving, I'm moving on and away from that. Then I'll go my first tricep exercise on that second tricep exercise, the last set, I'll push that to failure. But it's all minimizing the risk of injury because when you're pushing to failure, form will break down and then that, that increases your risk of injury. So on exercises like squats, bench presses, overhead presses, bent over rows, pull-ups, like the risk of injury all goes through the roof. So try and keep the majority of the time you train to failure on machines and with isolation exercises because the risk of injury is significantly less with those. But yeah, preferably only in the last set of that particular muscle group for that day. So let's say let's say you're doing full body, right? You you had squats. So we've already said don't train to failure on squats because risk of injury goes to the roof. Your next exercise is bench press. Probably don't train to failure on that one. And that's your, that's your two big compounds for the day. And then you've got two more isolation movements. So let's say you've got a lying leg curl. On that last set of lying leg curl, by all means, train train to failure. Go until you can't eat out another rep. Then after that, you've got cedar rows or lap pull downs. Something for the back. It's a machine. It's not a huge risk of injury. You can just drop the weight and it'll go back. By all means, train to failure on that one. So pick and choose your exercises. Pick and choose which set. And yeah, just be smart when utilizing that tool that training fa- training to failure is. Yeah, because if you're if you're trained to failure, say on like a line leg curl or something, and then you've programmed say deadlifts the next day, going to failure, you'd probably get a lot of muscle damage as well, and then that may destroy your um, like RDLs or deadlifts the next day as well. So you got to be careful of like. When can I use it? Do I have sufficient rest for the next exercise so I'm not mm-hmm. sore and that's going to like bleed into the next workout? So they're just another programming tips that you got to be careful when you are, say, either looking at a program that you have or creating your own of like, how do they all interwine with each other and where can I drop in these um, uh, failure points on each exercise? Just moving forward, just just another caveat that I wanted to throw out. Yeah, so with that with that caveat that you just mentioned there, I'm going to speak purely about myself and a program that I did recently. So I do two leg days throughout the week, Tuesday and Thursday. So on the Tuesday, I went um, heavy with my posterior chain for my legs, and then I went more of a pump focus for my anterior chain. So posterior chain, hamstrings, glutes, and then I went more of a pump, a higher reps with the, the, the quad base movements. On that last set of leg extensions that I did that day, I went to failure and I even did a drop set. So I was training beyond failure. Then two days later, I then have the heavy compounds for squats. I've got a day rest in between. It's not like I'm training quads the next day. I've got a day rest in between. I then go and hit quads. And then on that last set of the higher rep hamstring posterior chain work, I took lying leg curls and I did a drop set with those. So I'm going to that failure point on opposing, like it's not like I'm going to failure on quads with legs on the Tuesday and then failure to quads with legs on the Thursday, I'm going quads and hamstrings. And it's for that reason, I want to be able to recover. So then when it comes around to Saturday and I, I go for a run or I do something outdoors, my legs aren't completely fried. Like my, I haven't fried my quads to within an inch of their life and I can actually go for a run and I can actually enjoy my weekend and be social and be active rather than worrying about, am I going to be able to get up from the toilet or not? Because that's important. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very important. I mean, us blokes, we don't have to sit down as much as the women do, and the women love training legs, so mm. it's definitely important for them. <laughs> okay, question number four. 
I've been in a rut recently with working out and want to know how you get back into lifting after it's been a while. Yes. Well, this is going to be personal preference, but you just got to start small and remind yourself of why you actually want to get back into the gym of like, and why you stopped in the first place. Was it because you weren't getting enjoyment out of it anymore? Were you um, not seeing results? Like you got to ask these questions and just reflect back of why you stopped in the first place and then move forward of like, okay, I wasn't liking my workouts. I wasn't liking my gym. I wasn't liking my workout partner, all these things, or I wasn't liking the diet. I wasn't liking whatever and go, okay, what can I change and what can I go and use moving forward to help me get back into the swing of things? Because you're obviously asking this question, which means that you are thinking about it, which is the first step. And then the second step would be like, all right, what small action can I do today to move me forward to build momentum so then you can get back into the gym, start working out, starting eating healthy and getting your health and fitness journey on track again. Uh, echo everything you just said there. So with with this question, it's actually quite tough for me to answer because I've never been in a situation where I've needed to get back into training. Like it's it's always been something that's been a part of my life. So there's never been a time where I've really taken off unless I've been traveling, like we've been traveling mm. together and then, then training then. But it's that's I'm away from my routine and, and my life. Like I'm I'm out of way. So when I come back into my life, I just seamlessly fall back in. Mm-hmm. So if you're falling off, there's got to be a reason why. Like, mm-hmm. is the approach you're taking not sustainable? That would be the first place I would look. Do you not really like going to the gym and lifting weights? Maybe there's another form of exercise that may be beneficial for you. There's, there's there's some reason why you're falling off and why there's so much pushback for you. Like you you went listed it through, like have you run into a plateau? Um, are you not seeing any strength progress? Are you um, not seeing any fat loss? Like there could be a plethora of things and you just need to figure out what stopped you from going in the first place and then address that because otherwise it's going to be very hard to get back into the gym. But we preach many times over and, you said the same thing, start small. So tackle the low-hanging fruit first. Just start with a five-minute walk after each meal or just start with, I don't know, doing 10 push-ups in the morning when you wake up and start that way and being like, okay, I've done these 10 push-ups for three days in a row now. I'm going to do 10 push-ups and 10 squats and then just build momentum that way. Start small, get yourself back into the gym, but be careful. So that there's a lady I trained that, whenever she starts going to the gym and she starts feeling good and starts, she just goes way too much and then she burns herself out and she's like, I, I lose my love for the gym. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's fantastic for me to know. I'm glad you've vocalized this to me to start with. I'm going to be looking in your trainer as account and I'm going to be making sure you don't come more than two days a week because you're prone to overtraining, overdoing it and then losing your love for it and then being like, nah, this is all just too much. I'm doing way too much and then it falls to the wayside. So yeah, start small and make it make your health and fitness part of your life, not your life, health and fitness. So that's the key. It's It's got to be sustainable and it's got to add to the quality of a life. If it's not adding to the quality of life and it's becoming your life, that's that's where the problem lies. So sustainability is the key. Yeah, because I think they may be going, oh, I was going to the gym three times a week for at least an hour. I can't commit to that anymore. And that was you back then. You've now like taken a step back and you 
that's not where you're at at the moment. So you can't have that expectation of yourself right now. You need to just bring it back a bit, you start small, and then it can build up from there. Because if you're like, all right, because you're thinking too far ahead of like, I have to get these three workouts in at at least an hour. I need to dial in all my nutrition. And then it can be very, very overwhelming. And then you just don't start at all. And the hardest part is starting, <laughs> like that whole Newton's law of fucking whatever it is. You know the one. <laughs> what, stays in, <laughs> what stays in motion or whatever. <laughs> What's it called? Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's beside the point. You just need to get going. And starting small is going to be your biggest thing. And enjoy it while you last. And get some small wins and even reward yourself. And like, yes, I actually went to the gym today for 15 minutes. I'm going to reward myself with, like, I don't know, watching some Netflix or something. And then you can build on top of that. And then once you get back into the routine, you'll remember how you felt, how good you feel, and then you have the motivation again. Because the action gets led by motivation. So action first, then the motivation will come, and then you can go more action. So I've got it here for you. What stays in motion remains in motion. Yeah. Is that Newton's law? One of Newton's laws? It certainly is Newton's first law of every object. What stays in motion remains in motion. Yep. So that, that's that's what I mean about it's tough for me to answer because I'm constantly staying in motion. So therefore, it's just it's remaining in motion for me. Maybe that could be another another way that you could approach this and be like change your identity of how you view things. Like I am a personal trainer that goes to the gym. Mm. So for yourself, be like, okay, I'm a I'm a brickie that goes to the gym. I'm a nine to five office employee that likes lifting weights and just changing your identity and the way you think about yourself, talk about yourself will actually change how you shape yourself and and things that you do. So Mm. it's a cool little quote. Um, Be careful of your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Be careful of your words. Your words become your actions. Be careful of your actions. Your actions create your future. So, Mm. Just be mindful of everything of down to the notion of thoughts of like, oh, I'm a shit person. I'm not going to the gym. Well, hang on. If let's say your mother was going on a health and fitness journey, would you be like, mom, you didn't go to the gym today. You're a shit person. No, you probably wouldn't. You'd be like, hey, mom, why don't I go to the gym with you tomorrow? So if that's the approach you'd say to your mom and you'd lean out to her and be like, let's go to the gym together, then why don't you reach out to a friend and be like, hey, you want to go to the gym with you tomorrow? And that can be a way of you getting into the gym. Mm-hmm. So it's just a very different approach of watching your th- thoughts, watching your words, and then action, taking action and developing on it from there. Starting small is the easiest way. Yeah. And being, being kind to yourself if you don't go. Like, I think a lot of people, when they speak about themselves, they say, oh, I'm an idiot or I'm a shit person. Mm. But like, it's the action that you did. I was just speaking with this um, about this just recently of like, be careful of what you say and speak over yourself like and or others that speak over you too of like maybe what what you may have been like back in the back in the day you know it's like oh yeah you always love to get on on the beers and shit it's like oh i don't do that now as much anymore and things like this and like you've got to really have that that boundary with yourself and with other people because if you're constantly hearing that over and over you're going to start to think it as well so just mm. it's it's only slight little wording of like the thing that I did was shit, not I'm shit because I did that thing. So it's it's 
so small, but it's it will change the way that you you look and feel about yourself because you're not saying that you're the shit person. You're saying the action and the decision that you made was shit. So now you can move forward and go, okay, today I'm going to make good decisions um, and I'm a good person. For shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's just a small tweak. Yeah, that's a great way of explaining that. I, I really, really like that. Yeah, that's a, a nice little way to wrap up, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Wrap it up, Rocky boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's it for today's questions. If you want your questions answered in the future, make sure you are following us at brain.body.movement, at Brad Dapper, and at Brock underscore Dalgleish. And you can ask us a question whenever we put up a sticker box or send us a DM. Now, we just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed or took any value at all from this episode, we would really appreciate it if you took a screenshot and shared the Instagram stories. We would also love if you shared it with family and friends and left us a five-star review. Also, don't forget to turn on post notifications so you don't miss an episode in the future. But before we go, we can leave you with a few things. Make your damn bed, get your steps in, and be kind to one another. Cheers. So this one we can talk about relative, relative, relevant things now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> 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 <laughs>